We're in Proverbs 14. So turn over quickly to Proverbs 14. And if you're new to Calvary, a few of you visiting, um, anytime that we are gathered together, we are traveling through a book of the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse, which is amazing because it keeps me at task and it's safe for you because we get to see the scripture in context. Amen. Isn't that good? Um, and it's very good because then we can capture all of it. Proverbs, a different kind of a, a book from in a flow. Hebrew poetry is what it's, it's uh, in the category of within the Bible, along with several others like Ecclesiastes and Psalms. And in uh, Hebrew poetry is a little different. Here in Proverbs, the section we're in in particular, Solomon, who is the wisest man to ever live, given that wisdom by God, is now writing down Proverbs for his children so that they will know how to live and navigate this earth. And um, we know, though, that the scripture is given even to Solomon by the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Bible tells us that it's God breathed. All scriptures God breathed and it's profitable. But that God moved on holy men of old by his spirit and they wrote down the scriptures. So that's why we know the Bible is alive. And every time we go to the Bible, we receive something. Amen. It's not like any other textbook. Uh, you know, there can be some really good books out there. Um, and even some really good Christian books, but they are not fully and in every way inspired. They are not alive. Does that make sense? Your favorite pastor may have written a great book and it's partially inspired by the Holy Spirit for a topic. But this book, every page, every jot, every tittle, not one bit of it will go unfulfilled as the Lord has said. And so that's why we love it. Now, these little short Proverbs um, are, can actually stand on their own. You can actually take each one of them and almost build a sermon out of them because they're like one verse Proverbs, but they're very good. So last week we ended on verse four. We're going to pick it up with verse five today, but we're going to start reading at verse four and read down a little ways. And then we're going to dive in. Is that good? All right. Verse four, if we're with me, say amen. amen. Where no oxen are, the trough is clean, but much increase comes by the strength of an ox. Very interesting verse that we ended on last week. Verse 5, a faithful witness does not lie, but a false witness will utter lies. Verse 6, a scoffer seeks wisdom but does not find it, but knowledge is easy to him who understands. And go from the presence of a foolish man when you do not perceive in him the lips of knowledge. Verse 8, the wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way, but the folly of fools is deceit. Uh, fools mock at sin, verse 9, but among the upright there is favor. Verse 10, the heart knows its own bitterness, and a stranger does not share its joy. Verse 11, the house of the wicked will be overthrown, but the tent of the upright will flourish. There is a way that seems right to a man. We know this verse because many of you quote it, but it's in, but it's in is the way of death. Even in laughter, the heart may sorrow and the end of mirth may be grief. And so, Father, we do thank you this morning for giving us this text and these Proverbs and as we turn our hearts to it now, Lord, I pray that you would open it to us and that, let, Lord, you would remove all things that hinder the cares of this life, the burdens of this world, the, even the distractions that are in the room now. 
that you would cause all of those things to fade into the background, Lord God, that we would be able to focus in completely on what you would have to say, Lord. And that is our supernatural work as there's a battle that goes on behind the scenes. So, Lord, we ask that you would move on our behalf to open this scripture to us. And, Lord, by faith, we focus in on it and surrender to it now that we may grow according to your purpose and will. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And so as we ended last week in verse 4, I would encourage you to go back and listen. You can download the app or go to our website and listen to all of the previous teachings in the book of Proverbs and the previous books that we have looked at. But remember, it says, where, where no oxen are, the trough is clean, but much increase comes by the strength of an ox. And you remember, it's such a beautiful verse. We had so much fun with it as we looked at it from various aspects. But there can be no growth. There can be no increase without us having to count the cost of what that's going to be. And so in order for something to happen, there's going to be some messes along the way. Y'all remember that? And it's a very interesting. It's almost like somebody who wants a really tidy desk and a really clean office, you know, uh, but may not be productive at all. And then you take somebody, and this is where where I comfort myself, who has a very messy office, but is getting a lot done, you know, because, you know, productivity is going to call some stuff to happen. We looked at that from a personal standpoint. We looked at it in business last week. We even looked at it within the family and within the church. So go back and check that out. But verse five, look at that as we move forward. Verse five says, a faithful witness does not lie, but a false witness will utter lies. Very simple proverb. I mean, there's almost nothing profound there for us to look at. We could just move on except for the fact that the Holy Spirit has put it before us for us to think about it and look at it and, and take what we can from it. And a faithful witness, a faithful witness, it says, is does not lie. These three verses, actually, verses 5, 6, and 7 are going to speak of uh, the things that come out of our mouth or that which rolls off our lips, whether it's lying or scoffing or any of those things. In this first one, a faithful witness does not lie. And one of the things this reminds us of, this is a review. If you remember from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, verse 45, it kind of reminds us that it's, it's the heart that we need to be concerned about because it says a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I like the words treasure because treasure is something that we store up, isn't it? All right, especially in these times, a lot of y'all are prepping and stocking up. You know, I know you are because I, I talk to you. And you're sitting there like, not me, Pastor. No, you're, you're prepping because we had a conversation about it. Some of you are prepping a little bit. Some of you are buying gold and silver a little bit. You're storing up things. And I love that because it speaks to the fact that what you store in your heart is what's going to come out when you begin to speak. And that's important because here it says, again, a faithful witness does not lie. But a false witness will utter lies. Now, here's what we understand about lies and lying coming off the lips. A couple of things. Number one, we know for a fact because Scripture teaches us that God cannot lie. In fact, it was in the New Testament in the pastoral epistles when Paul was writing to Titus in Titus chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, where he tells us this. He says, Paul, a bondservant of, of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and notice the acknowledgement of the truth, I love that, because the truth is God's word, um, which accords in with godliness, verse 2 says, in hope of eternal life, which notice God, who what, y'all, cannot lie, 
promise before time began. That, that I love. God who cannot lie promised some stuff. And it's the promises of God that we hang on. It's the promises of God that we, we live for and that we look forward to. Amen? So God who cannot lie. So the first thing we understand, a faithful witness does not lie. And we know that God cannot lie. But then the Bible also tells us, then where do lies come from? The Bible tells us that the source of lies is Satan himself. You remember when Jesus was speaking with the Pharisees in John chapter 8, verse 44, where Jesus says to the Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil. Y'all catch that? And the desires of your father you want to do. And this is Sunday school Jesus, remember. He's telling it straight. He says, he, meaning Satan, was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. And so Jesus identifies that all lies come from Satan. Every lie is a manipulation of Satan. That's a scary thing because Satan wants you and I to lie. And that's, that's what we don't want to do. And so it's all a manipulation of Satan. The Pharisees, who were the conservative religious group within Israel, were being manipulated by the father of lies to reject the Lord Jesus. And we know that. And so a faithful witness, according to the verse, the faithful witness, if we look at it again, does not lie. But a false witness will utter lies. And so... The issue then, the issue is in our flesh, we'd still sin. And the last thing that we want to do, especially as believers, is bear false witness. And especially as it relates to the Lord Jesus himself and his gospel. We don't want to be a false witness of Christ, do we? Not at all. And this is the issue. And so in our flesh, we still sin. But we want to be faithful witnesses of God and of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus, listen, Jesus gave a particular title of himself to John when John was writing the revelation of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 5 on the screens. Check this out. It says, John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Y'all remember this. We went through the book of Revelation a few years ago. Um, notice he says, grace to you and peace from him who is who was and is, who is to come, which is Jesus Christ, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, which is the complete work of the Holy Spirit, and from Jesus Christ. Notice the what, y'all? Amen. Jesus is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. You would need a forklift to unpack that verse if you really want to spend time on it. And I would encourage you to maybe go back and listen to it. But Jesus Christ is the faithful witness. Everything that came out of his mouth was the word of God because he is the living word of God, isn't he? It was Jesus that says, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. And so Jesus is the faithful witness. But we from time to time in our flesh become unfaithful witnesses, don't we? Yes. How many of you can, can testify to that? Amen. That's a few of you. The rest of you are lying as you sit here. <laughs> so you already are unfaithful witnesses by the fact you didn't raise your hand. <laughs> and so this is an issue. And this is why Jesus said to us that you need something if you're going to be able to be my witness. 
And it was in Acts chapter 1 that Jesus said to the disciples, he warned them to wait in Jerusalem and not go anywhere and not do anything because they didn't have what they needed yet. And he says in chapter 1 of the book of Acts verse 8, he says, but you shall receive power. The word in the Greek is dunamis. Um, we get the word dynamite from it. But you'll receive power, a, a, a dynamic that is not of yourself when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus says, you don't have what you need yet, but when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, then you will actually be my witness right where you are in Jerusalem. And it's going to spill out and impact the whole world. And for the last 2,000 years, that's what's been happening. And it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that we are able to become the witnesses, not to just to, but also for Jesus that he desires us to be with our very lives. Some of us don't have the, the calling of evangelism or a gift of teaching or whatever the case may be, but still our very lives in and of our, in themselves become, because of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in us, causes us to be witnesses, represents, representatives, even ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen? Which is why he's left us here, that we may be that very thing. And I love that. So a faithful witness, and I went through all of that because sometimes the reality is a faithful witness does not lie. Well, then we're all disqualified. Those of you who didn't raise your hand in particular, <laughs> because you, it, I'm just picking on you, but we're all disqualified. As much as we want to be, but hey, we can be as we surrender to and yield to the prompting and the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives on a daily basis. Because a false witness will utter lies according to verse 5. So we know that. Very simple verse. But it's good to dig into that a little bit. Hey, you want to be a witness of Christ. And you can only be when truth comes out of your mouth. So when you catch yourself about to utter a false witness, wherever the case may be, tomorrow's Monday and you're at work. And in, in the ball, in whatever the situation, you know, you, you work maybe from home or you work from somewhere else, a different location. And, you know, there's that temptation to bear a little, a little lie. I'll just say it that way. I don't want to say a little white lie because that offends me. You know, anyway. Um, <laughs> trying to keep you all awake. Keep you all awake. And the Holy Spirit says, come on, man. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is, he's, he's, he's right there. He's God. Like, are you serious? You're just going to let that lie roll right off your mouth like that, huh? That's what the Holy Spirit will say to you. Don't, it's like I'm not here. Like, do you not believe that I'm with you? You ever had that experience? Like, come on, Lord. I know I'm sorry. You know, so, yes, follow the Lord. Let the Lord lead you. Verse 6. Notice verse 6 says, a scoffer seeks wisdom and does not find it. But knowledge is easy to him who understands. Now, I said that these three verses all kind of uh, spoke of something that rolls off the, off the mouth kind of. And a scoffer is one uh, that speaks a certain way. In fact, the word scoffer, and, and, and we've talked about this before, it means to, to mouth at or to talk arrogantly and, of course, to mock to mock or to mouth at or even to talk arrogantly. This type of person seeks wisdom but cannot find it. And see, the scoffer is a person who mocks God's word um, and mocks God and he mocks God's word, actually. Uh, even, even mouths off about God's word. He calls God's word into question, is quick to point out anything that seems unreasonable about God's word. Um, he doesn't believe uh, the word. He doesn't believe in the coming of the Lord or his kingdom. 
Um, so the scoffer bases life on this age only, on carnal things only. He even scoffs against the people of God, quick to point out any hint of hypocrisy amongst the church. And of course, we're all hypocrites to some degree. We're sinners saved by grace. Amen. But the scoffer is quick to want to point all of that out. And in fact, in the English, as we've translated this into the English, this word scoffer is found 15 times in the whole Bible, uh, according to the New King James search, and only one time in the New Testament. <clears throat> and that is in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3, where the scoffer is literally scoffing about the, 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 the purpose and the plan of God and his word. Notice it says, knowing this first, that notice scoffers will come when? How many of you think we're living in the last days? Okay, that's several of you. So scoffers would come in the last days. So one, one mark of the last days is we should be seeing more people who are mockers <clears throat> in the last days. Notice, walking according to their own lust. Well, we, we should figure that because they only mind carnal things. And saying, well, where is the promise of his coming? Specifically speaking of Christ. For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And we know that's not the case. But they want to make it seem like that's the case because they're scoffing at the fact that Christ would even be coming back because they don't really want that and they're not looking forward to it. See, scoffers mock the things of God, particularly the things related to his coming, because it, that brings, listen, it brings discomfort to them. It causes certain earthly pursuits of theirs to become less important. And so they scoff even at that. And here's the crazy thing, y'all. Because the wheat and the tares grow together. How many of you understand that reference? Nod or raise your hand if you do, okay? Jesus compared believers and non-believers within the church to wheat and tares. Okay, just in case you didn't catch it. Wheat is that which came from the good seed that, that was sown. The good seed is the word of God that was sown uh, into men's hearts. Everybody with me? Okay, so the good seed produced wheat. Wheat, you can do something with it, right? Um, but, the, but the tares is a false type of wheat, which the enemy sowed into the same field, according to the proverb in Matthew chapter 13. You can go look at it in your own time. So the enemy sowed tares. Tares looks just like wheat until harvest time. At harvest time, it's obvious that it has no grain in it because it still stands up straight when wheat grains begin to bow down a little bit under the weight of having grain. Does that make sense? Okay, so this is what he's getting at. And, and by the way, Tears are kind of uh, poisonous and even intoxicating in small amounts. Um, and so, listen, here's the thing. Because the wheat and the tares grow together, in the parable, Jesus says, let them grow together and I'll deal with it at the end so y'all don't make any mistakes. Because you know us, we'll go through and we'll be removing wheat. We'll be hurting Christians. Let them grow together. So, here's the issue. We even have mockers within the church who are saying the same things that, the, that people in the world are saying, more so in the church, actually, um, that the Lord isn't coming, that nothing is changing. They prefer to entertain false teachings, which cause them to focus on themselves and their own happiness, as if the Bible is all about them, instead of focusing on what God is actually saying in the Scripture. And so it seems that scoffers, even when they seek wisdom according to the verse, they can't find it because they mock at the truth and they're unable to find any real truth. One commentator wrote it this way, such may seek wisdom, 
but never can find it because he or she does not seek it where it is to be found, neither in the teaching of God's spirit nor in the revelation of his will. And we have more and more mockers who appear to be a part of us in the church today. And I warn you constantly because we need to be careful. We need to be more and more careful because they are very deceptive. And if you would say to yourself, and you be honest with yourself, if you would say, hey, you know, I'm still new to the Bible, I'm still growing, and I'm still learning, which, by the way, how many of us are still learning? Amen. So if that's the case, what you need to do is you can't listen to all, the because we're, we're flooded with all types of teaching and prophecy people today, and you do have to be really careful that you scrutinize what you listen to so that you're not led astray, okay? Um, and seek help from amongst us if you need that. And so listen, here's the thing. Scoffers, they seek out the wisdom, but they can't find it because they're not looking for it in God. They're not surrendering to what God would say. They're mocking at his very word, so they don't have a basis for which to find it. And today, more than ever, we see that we are quickly moving in the direction of the Lord's return. Just said, let me have a little fun for a moment. How many of you remember last week when we looked at the earthquake tracker, the last 120 years, and we saw that there is both a, uh, a increase in the frequency and the intensity of earthquakes around the world now, okay? And just even this week, because y'all be texting me and sending me stuff, and it's good stuff. But even just this very week, there was a three, there were two. And within, I guess, a couple of hundred miles of here, but one was a 3.5 in South Carolina. Now, South Carolina is experiencing what uh, geologists now call a earthquake swarm. And they've had literally 40 earthquakes this year, mostly small um, in, the, in the area of Columbia, mostly small. Uh, 3.5, I think, is the largest one. The other ones were 2 point something. No building damage or anything like that, but just people are concerned. And so they're like, what's going on? They had one video of a lady you know how parents, we have the little monitors over our children's crib. So you can see the baby's crib is shaking in the middle of the night. Um, that's kind of scary for a first-time mom. You know, I don't care who you are. Um, but earthquake swarms are happening. We know that. And people are really just getting weird now. And so somebody else dropped me an article off this morning. And this is interesting. This is um, Candace Gorham, uh, North Carolina, a secular values voter. And he, she writes this. She's quoted in the News and Observer. She writes this, I am an author, activist, mother, lifelong North Carolinian, and an atheist. I am one of more than 75 million secular Americans who are not religious. The nuns, uh, is what they call themselves, those of us unaffiliated with religion. Um, and she says that are now 29% of the U.S. population. We're the largest denomination by religious identifications, but they're not religious, so that's kind of a contradiction there. Um, as a secular voter, I trust in reason, science. And we keep hearing the trust in science thing, even though those who tell us to trust in science, they don't actually use real science. Um, but anyway, I trust in reason, science, and America's secular constitution. I want Congress, my state legislator, my public officials, and our courts to, and she checks these boxes, keep religion out of government and social policy, keep religion out of public schools, keep religion out of bedrooms, personal lives, uh, and healthcare decisions, including when or whether to have children and whom to love and marry. Uh, in other words, 
keep religion out of everything so we can have everything the way we want it and do whatever we want. Um, use my tax dollars only for evidence-based, not faith-based purposes. Anyway, you can go read that stuff yourself. It's very interesting how things are changing and people are mocking the very word of God. And so, therefore, scoffers seek wisdom from a secular-only perspective but can't find it. But knowledge, notice the, the contrast. Knowledge is easy to him who understands. Here's the interesting thing. It's very easy to he who understands because he who understands has a healthy fear, a reverential respect for God and his word. And so therefore that person can, can begin to find understanding very easily. That person can be very uneducated and be able to look at where we are and see what's going on because they have a fear of God and God has opened their eyes. Does this make sense? And this is very interesting because in fact, the Bible teaches us in Acts chapter 4, this is not on the screen, just listen for a moment, that when the Sanhedrin were persecuting Peter, James, and John, or Peter and John, because they healed the guy at the gate on the way in for prayer, y'all remember that? And so they arrested them, and, and they actually beat them, uh, and they were, they were telling them, don't speak in the name of Christ anymore. But when they, the Bible says that when they noticed the boldness of Peter and John, they, they realized that these were uneducated men, meaning they had no formal training, they were fishermen but that they had been with Jesus because that's what's required. Um, and we know that. We understand that. And so it's very interesting as we begin to look and understand that, yes, understanding comes very easy to those who have a fear of the Lord because it's the Lord who gives wisdom. In fact, wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. We already know that from the book of Proverbs. And so these are things that we got to know and we got we to be careful with um, and in fact, you know, I don't want to jump ahead of myself, but I, I was talking with the first service about this and the verse just came to me. That's why it's not in my notes. And it, it came to me that when you, if you got somebody in your life, listen, if you got somebody in your life and they don't know Christ, or maybe they do, but they're deceived in some way. You know, one of the things that Paul did, which blesses me, and, and as you're praying for them is in Ephesians, really quick, run over to the book of Ephesians, run over there really quick. We handle our sword this morning. If you're at home, Ephesians 1, really quick. Um, Paul's prayer, which I wanted to just remind you of. I love this prayer. Ephesians 1, 15. 1, 15. 1, 15. Ephesians 1, 15. Paul says there, he says, therefore, and this is great for those parents who maybe have children that are wayward as well. But he says, therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Y'all remember this? You can get all of this in detail on the app. We taught this a few years ago. But Paul says, every time I think about you and I've heard about you, so I'm praying for you every time I, 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 it comes to my mind. Verse 17, here's his prayer. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of glory may give you, notice this, the spirit of what, y'all? And the book of Proverbs is all about wisdom. The spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, which is key whether you're saved or unsaved. We want him to come to the revelation of who he is. The revelation in the knowledge of him, verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. I love that. That you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance, speaking of Christ, in the saints? And what is the exceeding, verse 19, uh, greatness of the power of his power, Jesus' power towards us who believe according to the working 
of his mighty power. And you can look at the rest of that in your own time. I love that prayer because that prayer speaks to me of that God would open the eyes of those who need to have a greater revelation of who he is. Does that make sense? Because Paul said in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that Satan, the little God of this world, is blinding the minds of those who don't believe. They are blinded by Satan. Paul says in Ephesians that we just read, pray that God would open the eyes of their understanding and enlighten them. They will come to know the knowledge of who he is. Does this make sense? That you can use these scriptures in your prayer time when you're praying for those who don't believe, that they would come to a place where they understand. Because understanding is easy. Our knowledge becomes easy, if you will, to those who understand, those who have a fear in the Lord. Verse 7, we got to move on. Verse 7 says, go from the presence of a foolish man when you do not perceive in him. Notice the lips of knowledge. There it is again. It's this communication because out of the treasures of the heart, words come out of a person's mouth. So when you don't perceive in them lips of knowledge, the Bible says, get thee away from them, basically. <laughs> That's the Pastor Kevin's. Uh, version, uh, get thee away. Um, yes, go from the presence of a foolish man. Now remember, foolish man, we've talked about this a lot. It means a stupid fellow. If you look it up in your concordance, that's what it means. Um, a, a dullard, a simpleton, uh, an arrogant one. This kind of person, uh, if you will, like the scoffer, um, this is the kind of person that we're dealing with. If you remember last chapter, really quick, last chapter, chapter 13, verse 20, just glance over at the other page. It says, he who walks with wise men will be what? Wise. But the companion of fools will be destroyed. It's just a different way of the same thing. In other words, the Bible is saying, hey, y'all, be careful who you give yourself fully to in fellowship. Because you don't connect yourself with someone who is not good for you. There is a such thing as fellowship in the body. And then fellowship often turns into friendship, right? Um, and then anything else is probably just ministry or potentially outreach. But you've got to make a distinction because when you're in fellowship with one another, that means having all things in common. That means I've given myself to this person. They've given themselves to me. We are, if you will, praying for one another. We're connected with one another. We're pouring into each other's lives. And, and according to chapter 13, verse 20, you kind of become a, uh, what you spend time around to some degree. Does that make sense? So the Bible is saying that we need to make a distinction and be careful with that. And so there are times, listen, when you're trying to witness maybe to someone or pour into someone's life who may be a believer, um, and, and you, you begin to, to discern a bit of foolishness there, um, and it feels like it's becoming futile, and, and, and you, you, you have to pray, and you're trying to reach the person, but it's not going anywhere. And yeah, you, can, you pray for a while. Pray for uh, open doors that God would, would plant seeds and water seeds. Yes, all of that is key. But there comes a point where you always have to make a distinction. Let me give it to you this way. There was a time when I used to go out evangelizing quite a bit. And one of the things I, I realized when out evangelizing, you, 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 you find all kinds of characters. If you want to have some fun, go evangelizing. You'll grow and you'll find all kinds of characters out there. Um, and often you would come across a person, listen, a person that 
would either just want to argue or only want to talk about some weird uh, out of this, out of the way kind of stuff, um, or or they would want to scoff at the truth, but they didn't want to actually believe the truth. They just wanted to debate and constantly move and look at it from a different direction, but never really receiving anything from you. And after a while, you have to come to the conclusion that whoa, we're wasting our time here. And it's at times it's like the Holy Spirit is like, hey, stupid. Would you, what do you, I sent you to evangelize. You've been caught over here with this person and it ain't going anywhere. And then what the Lord began to show me, I began to realize is that often it's Satan who posts that person there to eat up your time because there's somebody not too far away who would actually receive and maybe get saved. And there has to be a point in which I realize and anybody evangelizing realizes that, hey, you know what? This person ain't receiving nothing and I'm going to move on. You know, like the time those of you who went to Columbia when we was on the mountain um, and with there's like three or four churches together and the first group we found was Jehovah's Witness. And as soon as I perceive as I'm trying to understand the Spanish that, hey, these are Jehovah's Witnesses, I said, hey, let's move on. Didn't even end the conversation, just walked because I knew it was a waste of time and four or five people got saved that night. Don't spend time with them. They're not going to get saved as you run into them in evangelism. Move on and spend your time strategically doing the things that you're supposed to do. Jesus says this, don't give what is holy to dogs nor cast your pearls before swine lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you into pieces. In other words, when you realize you're talking to a fool, it's time to, time to get thee away. <laughs> Pray for them. But you need to move away. That's what the Bible is saying. I, I, I love how simple the scripture is. So go from the presence of a foolish man when you do not perceive in him the lips of knowledge. And I love how it says it's the lips of knowledge because you can, if you listen long enough to what a person says because of the treasures in their heart, eventually what's in there is going to come out. You know, just like these politicians we got today. You can find out everything they're planning to do if you just listen to them for a while because they're not smart enough to, to guard themselves. It just falls out of their mouth, you know. And, and that's what you do. If you listen to people and you just listen with a heart of understanding, it's like you'll realize where the person really is. All right, verse 8. Y'all okay? Verse 8 says, the wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way. But the folly of fools is deceit. Very interesting verse. The wisdom, of it, but it's simple at the same time. The wisdom of prudent is to understand his way. The prudent man is prudent because he's trying to figure things out. His way, it means this. It means, and, and I put all the definitions together to kind of make a little bit of a sense of it. It says it means um, the manner and course one takes as he or she journeys through this life. So the way is the manner and course one takes as he or she journeys through this life. And the other side of that is the moral character that one has as he or she journeys through this life. So the prudent person is displaying his or her wisdom by seeking the best course of life and applying and practicing those things which they are learning, particularly as it relates to, the, to, to pleasing the Lord. And so this is why this person's wise, because they're learning, they're seeking what his word says, how to please him, how to walk with him. And that's what they're applying to their life. So verse 8 says, the wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way. But notice the folly of fools. That's kind of redundant. The foolishness of the fool. That's what it's saying. The fool's foolishness, if you will, is deceit. And the word deceit is, is very obvious in the English. It, but it does mean 
uh, faults and of guile, uh, finch, crafty, uh, subtility. You know, it, it speaks of all of these very things. You know, it's, it's crafty. It's kind of like when we go fishing, trying to catch fish. We're very crafty, aren't we, guys? We got, you know, you're trying to catch one type of fish, or, uh, a crappy or, or, or bass, and you got 50 different lures, all the same thing, different sizes, different colors, and you'll switch about 30 of them out in one, one evening fishing, trying to find whatever you can get to grab the fish's attention so he'll take a bite. Y'all fishermen? No? Bad analogy? Some of you are. All right. <laughs> and that's what it speaks of. Let me give it to you this way. First time it's used in the Bible is very interesting, and you can have fun with this. It's in the book of Genesis. And it's in 27. Genesis 27, 35 says, And he said, Thy brother came subtly or uh, deceitfully and have taken away thy blessing. This is Isaac speaking to, to Esau. Esau shows up and, and wants to get the, the blessing of the firstborn because he's the oldest. And then what Isaac realizes is that, well, wait a minute, weren't you just here? I'm like, nah, dad, what happened? Well, Jacob, the younger brother, had come in and disguised himself as Esau, and dad was blind, so he fooled dad, and dad pronounced the blessing of the firstborn on the youngest, who was Jacob, because Jacob was a con man. Y'all with me now? All right, so Jacob gets conned by a more experienced con man, his uncle, in chapter 29, verse 25, it says, and it came to pass in the morning, you remember your BC days, the morning was rough, it came to pass in the morning, or that in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, the uncle, what is this that thou hast done unto me? Did not I serve thee for Rachel? Wherefore then hast thou beguiled me? Same word. In other words, Jacob fell in love with Rachel. He wanted to marry Rachel. He went to Rachel's dad, his uncle Laban, and said, hey, I want to marry Rachel. He said, well, cool. You worked for me for seven years. I'll give her to you. So Jacob was on it. Seven years he worked faithfully because he was in love with this woman. And so on the wedding night, the dad switches the two sisters out. And puts the older one in there. And Jacob doesn't figure this whole thing out until the morning. He was so focused, he didn't pay attention to anything. And in the morning, he realizes, oh, this ain't the right one. This is the less attractive one. And here's his upset. And he says, you fooled me. It's the same word. It's interesting. <laughs> because the fool is deceitful in his ways. He's deceitful in his ways He's a con man. He wants it his way. So he's going to even, even when the fool goes to God, he's not being honest. He's trying to negotiate with God and trying to get what he wants from God um, as opposed to surrendering to the way God wants it to be, you know, because if you want to receive something from God, the Bible says that if anybody that comes to God must first believe that he is and he's a reward of those who diligently seek him. So when I approach him, I need to approach him on his terms and my way is not right all the time. So Lord, what would you have me to do? And so the wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way. Verse 9. Verse 9 says, fools mock at sin, but among the upright there is favor. I'm gonna, I need to move a little faster. Fools, fools mock at sin. The word here used for sin or translated sin, it actually means guilt or guiltiness. So in other words, the, 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 the fool mocks, remember, speaks arrogantly um, and all of this at sin but the implication here is it's against the guiltiness that sin brings. And so what's happening here is that the fool is actually dismissing the guilt that he feels and never embracing the experience of the guiltiness of, of his sin 
which should have a humbling effect on him, leading him to repentance. Does that make sense? In fact, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 7, 10, it says, for godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. In other words, when, when you feel godly sorrow, we call that conviction. And it produces repentance, which leads back to salvation. And you never, ever regret that. And so here's the thing. By design, our guilt and our shame leads to repentance, which leads to eventually restoration. Restoration. But the fool mocks at that. He turns away from that. He doesn't want anything to do with it. And so therefore, he mocks at sin. But among the upright is favor. Why is there favor? Because the upright humbles themselves and turns back to God. Because the upright, when they, when they realize their sin, their conviction of it, their guiltiness, they're broken and they go running back to God. God, forgive me of my sin. There is favor then. Because God resists the proud, but he gives grace or favor to the who? The humble. We know that. And so it's connected with a lack of fear, actually, is the issue. The fool mocks at sin because they don't have a fear of God. Proverbs 9, 10, we know it. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And in Proverbs 8, 13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance, and the evil way, and the perverse mouth I hate. And so when we have a fear of the Lord, we turn to the Lord. And in, in that fear, when we sin, we realize we need to repent and give it to him and allow him to heal us, to cleanse us, and to forgive us, and to restore us. Verse 10 because we're almost out of time, a few more of these. Verse 10 says, the heart knows its own bitterness, and a stranger does not share its joy. Very interesting verse, the heart knows its bitterness. The heart knows, listen, actually, if you notice in this verse something really quick, every verse we've looked at thus far has the contrast connected by the word but. This thing over here, but then this thing over here. Y'all saw that, right? It's this way for this one and this way, but then this way for the other one. But here as we get to verse 10, it's like an and there because it's really not so much as a contrast, in my opinion, as it's, it's a building upon an understanding we need to have. The heart knows its own bitterness and a stranger does not share its joy. So the heart knows not only its bitterness, but also its joy. They are both in the depths of our soul. We carry them both. We try to manage them ourselves most of the time. And others may, may not know them, or even when they, they do know, it's revealed to them, they will not fully understand maybe. And, and so we struggle with these things because we got bitterness in our heart that we're dealing with. We got stuff that's going on, pain, hurts, things we're, we've been through, and, and we seek to maybe share, and maybe the other person doesn't fully understand, and you might have this stuff in your pain, and you feel like nobody understands, and, you, and, and nobody's able to help. But here's the thing. Nobody may truly understand it, but God knows it. And this is what we need to know and, and, and first rest on because it begins with him, and it ends with him. In fact, the Bible says in Psalm 138, verse 6, it says, Though the Lord is on high, meaning his position is high and above us, yet he regards the lowly, that's me, but the proud he knows from afar. I like that verse. He regards the lowly, but, it, but the proud, he's far away from him. Remember, the Lord resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Draw near to God, the Bible says, and guess what he'll do? 
draw near to you. I, I love Lord. He inclined his ear to me. That's what the psalmist says. In other words, it's like a father bending down to hear a child whisper in his ear. You know, that's how God is. God wants to draw close to us when we go to him. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, casting your cares upon him, upon God, for he cares for you. David said in another place, I love the Lord because he heard my cry. So then, therefore, the Lord is not far from any of us. And if nobody else knows what you're going through, the Lord knows what you're going through. And so you can turn to him. And I would say turn to him first. You know, often what we do, listen, often what we like to do, and unfortunately, people, we do ministry like this sometimes, but we like we like to see, well, if there's somebody that is dealing with, if you will, um, or experiencing the same issues in life, we like to connect them together. We figure, well, they can relate to one another, and, and so we get them together, and then they'll, they'll, they'll be able to minister to one another. And often what we don't understand is that two people dealing with the same mess ain't going to do nothing but make a greater mess together. That's the reality of it. And, you know, one thing that came to my mind when I was reading this is I remember years ago before I was married, but my wife and I were um, going to church together, the church we eventually got married. And I remember this young lady invited me, are you coming to the, to the singles ministry pool party? Now, now that I'm older, I wish I could go back. And this is what I would say to her. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> A singles ministry pool party. It's, it's like the, the people dealing with hormones all getting together in one place where it ain't nothing but hormone struggles and, and revealing of stuff. Like, no, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. No, I'm not going to no singles pool party. Now, I got to back up for a moment because there's an older, sweet older couple in this room. They actually met at singles ministry about 50 years ago, and they've been happily married ever since. I won't look in their direction. So, But they had a good singles ministry, I think. You know, it wasn't a pool party. <laughs> But no, just because, just because, no, 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 you just, we, we think ministry is about putting people together that relate to one another. Um, but, the, but the problem is, listen, if it hasn't been confronted in their life by the Lord, then they got nothing to add to you. It needs to be worked out by the Lord first before that person can then share something with you. And let me take you to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Do we have it this time, Andres? Okay. On the screen, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I want you to look at it really quick. 2 Corinthians 1, 3, 3, and 3 through 5 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There it is. The Father of all mercies. That's the one thing you need to know. He's full of mercy. And God of how much comfort? All, all right. So don't, don't come whining talking about God. God ain't got no comfort for this situation because he's full of all comfort. Who comforts how many people? Or count comforts us in, in how much of our tribulation? All. Okay. So we've established he's full of mercy. He is, has all comfort, and he comforts us in all tribulation. And, and so if you want to scoff at that verse, it's because you're lacking some understanding of who he is, and you're operating in carnality. Because it goes on to say that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble, but how? Well, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by who? God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, in other words, we're going to go through some stuff, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. So therefore, when we are comforted by him, now we are equipped to comfort others. And there's a part of this I missed, um, uh, who comforts us, notice, in all our tribulations, that we may be able to comfort uh, 
those who are noticed in what kind of trouble? Anything. Any trouble, which means that I, ain't even ha- I don't even have to have gone through exactly what you went through, the exact way you went through it, and it doesn't matter. Because I've received comfort from the Lord, I understand he's the one that brings it. So it ain't always that I got to know and be able to relate to exactly what you went through with somebody else. You got to get with somebody who knows exactly what you've gone through. No, what you need is someone who understands the comfort of the Lord and he's been bringing them through stuff and healing them. Because that person is going to know this, that all I know, I can tell you, is that God is filled with mercy and can comfort you right where you are. And let me take you and pray with you. Let me tell you how he's done it in my life. And let me stand with you as you're going through this because I know God is going to bring you comfort and healing. Because that's the requirement. Just because two people can relate to the same trial is not always going to be the fix. You don't have to find somebody that understands exactly my little problem so you can get together and just compare the mess together. (laughs) And sometimes there's a place for that, yes. But, you know, that's not necessary. It needs to come back to him because he's the source of our comfort. He's the source of our healing. He's the source of mercy. And he gives some of us the gift of mercy and, 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 and so this is how we begin to learn to minister to one another. And, and so you, we got to even think of ministry the wrong way. I think maybe this is why singles ministry has never actually worked at our church the way that we want. Because, look, I, you can learn. You, a single person can learn more from a 50-year-old married person been married for 50 years than they can from another single about walking with the Lord a lot of times. You know, it, it ain't always what we think it's got to be. See, the problem is we a lot of times... If we say, well, I don't believe God can comfort in all comfort because I haven't received comfort yet. Well, maybe you, you're fighting against the Lord because he ain't doing it the way you want it done. And so that's why you, you're not there, not getting there because, look, the reality is this is what the scripture says that he can do. And even in my own life, then, I, then that means that maybe I, I'm, I'm still in my own selfish desires, you know, or whatever. I only wanted a certain way and I'm not willing to receive until I get it my way. And I'm in the way. And maybe, maybe look, we just need to surrender to the Lord and say, Lord, however you want to do this. Because, look, I'm going to tell you right now, Jesus sought some comfort the night before his crucifixion. Father, if there's any other way, because I really don't want to go to the cross. And he had to come to a place where he said, what, y'all? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will. Now, when he, when he finished that prayer, guess what? The angel showed up and ministered to him. And then Jesus, Jesus got up and he went and got between his disciples and the guys that were approaching and says, whom are you seeking? Jesus of Nazareth. I am he. And they fell on their butts. Because he, he went before the father. He, he hashed that thing out with the father. And it was settled there. And Jesus got up and he went to the cross and he never opened his mouth to defend himself. And Pilate said, behold the man. At, at, at that point, he's scourged beyond recognition. He's beaten and bloodied and you can't even, you can't even tell him. You, he looked like hamburger meat at that point. And he didn't open his mouth. And he, he finished. He went, he, he went as far as he could with the, the machine that he was living inside his body. He took it as far as he could until he couldn't carry the cross no more. And he fell so he compelled another guy to, to carry it the rest of the way. And he made it there. Um, if, and, and he's going to war. He's, he made it to the cross. And he climbed up on that thing. And the Bible says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. So he gets on the cross and he finishes his ministry. Listen, there was one more person to be saved while on the cross suffering. He, he saved one more right there. And then the other's looking on. You know, and he didn't save just one. We don't even know how many he saved. He saved the one we know, which was the thief, but the dude that carried the cross. 
we think he got saved because his dad was later mentioned by Paul. You know, so he probably got saved. It was, it, look, the Pharisees were being impacted. We know, we know these things about the things that Jesus was preaching from the cross, quoting Psalm 22. Jesus finished his race, and he finished it the way his father wanted it done. And so we got to learn to humble ourselves and, and allow the Lord to work with us. I'll finish with this where First uh, Thessalonians 5 says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, um, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, and be patient with all. And he's exhorting the church to minister to one another, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient for all. So I guess one thing to take away from all of that before we pray is if you're going through something and you think that the only way you're going to find comfort is to find someone who's been through the exact thing, God may do that for you. He may give you someone who can fully understand it. But you need to be open because it may be that God wants to minister to you in a way that you don't realize from somebody who you may not even understand. And that's the one thing I, I love about our church here is this is not a church where it's just one type of person. You know, uh, there's old people and young people and every other background that you can, you can think of. And the crazy thing is when I see two people that don't look like they should be hanging out together, hanging out together, it's actually a, a, it's a funny thing. It's actually God makes me laugh a lot, you know. <laughs> you know, he'll have a, you know, 60-year-old white person hanging out with a, you know, 22-year-old African-American or Hispanic, you know, just this fellowshipping and praying and, and stuff like that, you know, and uh, or whatever the case may be is what I'm saying. You know, just what is he doing? Let the Lord do it. Stop, like, putting him in a box where he can only do, do it your way. Get out of his way, basically. Let's pray. Father, thank you for allowing us to be here today, Lord God. I pray that you would go before us this week, Lord God, that you would keep each family, each, each single person, Lord God, wherever it is that you are sending us um, in between work and home and all the other places, Lord God. I pray, Father, that you would give us all the discernment necessary and the wisdom needed. And that you would keep us, Lord, until we meet again. And while we are praying, if there's anyone here, if you are not saved, and if you die today, if you die tomorrow, you know in your heart that you do not have the assurance of salvation. And you don't know what's going to happen to your life. Jesus is calling you at this very moment to settle that because he loves you. And he died on the cross and shed his own blood to pay for your sin, that you can be forgiven of your sin and reconcile back to God and have eternal life and that he can change your life. And if you allow him, and if that's you and you haven't done that, with every head bowed and every eye closed, where only the Lord is looking, I pray that you would raise your hand and just give your life over to him and let him have it. And that's called repentance, turning from your way and receiving his word and doing it his way. And if that's anyone in this room, do that now. And I can't see any hands. If you did that and I didn't see you, come find me in the lobby. Father, we thank you for that. And we thank you for our salvation. And we thank you for the promises of your coming. Lord, be with us now as we, pray, as we prepare to leave this place, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.